What's going on, my friends? Welcome back to Titus Talks. I'm excited today. I get to talk to a colleague um, that I worked with in the past, uh, Ian Simon. We're going to talk about policy, life, all that kind of stuff. Fun fact, Ian also used to work with Sarah, for anyone who remembers the lively conversation I had at the very start of this uh, whole podcast series. But before we jump in, just to remind everyone, this is a podcast and a video podcast. So you can find it, the podcast in all your favorite spots, Apple, Spotify, Google, and you can find the video on YouTube. And then I also write a newsletter. So if you want to get this all sent straight to you, sign up for that. All of this stuff will be linked in the comments or in the description. So it's easy to find, but let's jump right in. So Ian, how's it going today? Good. How are you doing, Titus? It's good. It's Monday, right? Monday? Yeah, it's Monday. <laughs> I can never tell what day it is anymore. <laughs> COVID has made it so I can't tell if it's Monday or Sunday or Wednesday. It's like, I don't know. Well, I really appreciate you joining me today. Everyone that I has been listening to this podcast has really enjoyed hearing all the cool stuff that people have been doing, you know, trying to bring the person aspect to tech and science and careers and stuff. So I'm going to start with my good standard opener and want to leave it really open-ended to you. And why don't you tell us a story? Um, sure. Yeah. So I jumped from grad school into policy through a really uh, kind of crazy uh, jumped straight into the, the frying pan corner route. Um, so I graduated with my PhD. I applied for a policy fellowship program or a, um, a scholarship program, uh, which was essentially going to be, and I didn't know at the time, going to be a crash course in, in policy. Um, and it was going to be in South Korea, and I was going to no one there. <laughs> So it started with me flying into the country with just this huge suitcase. I knew no one. I didn't. I hardly knew the language. I remember uh, whatever hotel they were supposed to put me at. It fell through, and so I'm at a little hole in the wall um, with uh, it's one room with the shower in the actual room with the bed. It was crazy. It was a crazy setup. Um, but I was I was I was set to go work at a science policy think tank in South Korea. It was about 150 people that worked there, uh, all of them Korean. And uh, the uh, person who was to be my boss had just finished working at GW in their international S&T policy, science and te technology policy program. He went back to Korea and he wanted to diversify um, his company. So I, I, the one uh, lone one piece of diversity came over. And I remember the, the first day I walk in the room and, and have all these like weird customs that people tell you you have to do as an American going to South Korea. Um, one of which I was told by someone which was, oh, bring, bring, bring them whiskey <laughs> because that's exotic. So I show up with a bottle of Jack Daniels. <laughs> I remember my boss, my boss I'm like, Thanks. <laughs> you find out there's a whiskey bar in every corner. Like this is whiskey bar myth from like the 1980s, right? So, uh, so he's like, I, I, I can get whiskey here. Um, but, uh, but we sit down and we start talking about what, what we're going to do. And I'm expecting, right? To, I'm, I'm a newly minted PhD. I have no policy experience. Uh, I'm expecting them to like throw stuff at me here. Learn this, or learn that, learn this, and. At the end of about the hour meeting, uh, uh, he says, okay, so what do you want to work on? I was like, what do you mean? What do I want to work on? What do you want me to work on? He was like, no, no, that's not the way it works. Um, <laughs> I was like, uh, I, don't, I don't know how it works. And he's like, great. You see that bookshelf? 
Uh, about a quarter of those books are in English. Two thirds are in Korean. Take the English ones off the shelf. Just get started. It was economics. It was public policy. It was, uh, you know, essentially like government 101, like a, a, a master's level in public policy on the shelf. And and he was like, yeah. just go read. Um, but it was it was it was it was a very bizarre thing of just being thrown in the country, knowing no one, knowing knowing not knowing the language, not knowing the um, the field of study, and just being like, go. Oh man, you have to have the most extreme foray out of academia into policy I've talked to because, you know, I kind of felt like I had a similar experience, at least with my apartment when I moved to DC, but at least I could speak English uh, kind of thing. But you, know, you went from policy or from, you know, grad school to a, a field you didn't know, a language you didn't know, a country you didn't know, man, that's bold. But how did it go? I found my footing. Uh, you were still in policy, so it hadn't have gone well. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's, it started off rocky. Okay, so, <laughs> so, so I'm, I spent four, six weeks just reading. Um, my boss was like, "All right, I'll, I'll help you. I'll introduce you around to folks, so you can start taking informational interviews, getting to know people in the field in Korea." And <clears throat> one of the interviews was actually with a, an American who was a business professor at a at a Korean business school. But uh, he, well, we met at some talk or conference, um, got to talking. He said, oh, you know, you're, you're coming from a, a bioscience background. I have recently started talking with the Korean Institute of Biotechnology. Uh, why don't you, why, why don't we team up? Okay, team up, I don't know what that means. But what it turned out to be was it was a meeting after the meeting he says to me, so, so this professor, Emmanuel Pastrich, is fluent in Korean, Japanese, probably oh, Hungarian, yeah. people who's like a, a brilliant linguist. Um, and so he's, he says, okay, they, they want you to come and give a talk at, um, at their Korean Biotech Research Institute, like come just give a seminar. And I was like, okay, I can give a seminar. Uh, what do they want it to be about? And he's like, well, you know, science, policy, whatever. Um, so I I put together uh, a a talk that's half science and half policy and again I've been in the country for six weeks I've read textbooks about policy but I don't know what it is or what I'm doing and um and uh so he calls me up a couple days before I'm gonna go give this talk he's like oh I can't make it I can't be with you but I'm sure you'll be fine you'll be in good hands here's the contact information oh and by the way uh you might be expected to speak on behalf of the Obama administration on science policy. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, boy. So, uh, so quick background. My, I, was, I was over there in 2008, 2009. Uh, November 8th, 2008 was the day of my talk. That was election day. <laughs> and... He was a, 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 you know, it's it's not out of the realm of possibilities, but didn't know if uh, a black American who's into policy might be construed as speaking for the current black American candidate for president. So he was like, all right, so just just be aware that that's gonna that might happen. Uh, so I, I um, sufficiently freaked out, but uh, calm myself. I I go there on the day. I deliver my talk, and it was the first time that I had to deliver a talk while an interpreter was talking at the same time. So I had no idea how that was, interplay was going to happen. Uh, at one point, 
I look out in the audience, no one is like, everyone looks bored. A couple people have nodded off and I'm thinking, I've totally lost them. Like they're not even paying attention. So I stop and I turn, I'm like, should I go slower? And I'm looking at the interpreter to get some sort of signal. And everybody's like, no, you're fine. You're fine. Go ahead. Great, great. Well, okay. okay. So I, I, I finished and I, first half is sort of um, uh, my, my thesis, right? Of, of like a synopsis of my thesis. I kind of cut it down a little bit um, of this thesis. I just had grad school, which was on um, viruses and viral vectors as, as vaccine platforms. Oh, cool. And then the second half was policy, which was really just me taking uh, whatever I just read in a few textbooks and thinking about it for about a half a day and then fr- trying to figure out like, here is everything I think I will do around policy. Um, and looking back, it was pretty bare bones. So I, so I get done with the talk and it's like silence on the audience. And I'm like, oh, I totally lost them. And they ask for questions and there's no questions. And so finally, the sort of vice president of the Research Institute, who is the host or hosting this little seminar, gets up and says, you know, thank you so much for your talk. That was really great. Uh, the, the research that you presented was just fantastic. It just blew me away. It was tremendous. And the policy piece, well, you know, stick with the science. <laughs> well, they're straight shooters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It was, it, was, it was pretty fun. Um, but so that was two months into a year long uh, experience over there. I, I conducted a few different research projects. I worked with uh, the biotechnology community in South Korea. So both academic, industrial, and the sort of the government labs and worked with them, did a project on how they could revamp their international collaboration. And uh, cool. it, it, that project really it kind of caught caught fire in Korea and had a lot of folks afterwards, Koreans saying to me, like, this is great. We, you know, these things are things that performance we've been trying to push. But um, it's it's, you know, it's great to hear uh, uh, essentially an outsider say the same thing. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, so it sounds like a rocky start into a good start, which has led to a fruitful career in policy across the board. Yeah. Well, that's. Okay, well, you definitely win the award for the uh, harshest transition from bench science to the policy world, I've heard of anyone. But you now work in Washington, D.C. You now, you have been for a while. So I always, I've made lots of disclaimers. Nothing I or Ian say speaks for anyone but our but ourselves, not our, not our employers. Um, but can you tell us a little bit about what it's like to work in Washington in policy? I mean, we met working... You were working in the White House supporting OSDP and like, how does that going and, you know, what are your thoughts? Wow. Where to start? Um, <laughs> yeah, so, not, none of these are directed questions. This is, yeah, this is as open as you can be. Basically, study policy. Go. Yes. So I first came to D.C. through a science policy fellowship. Um, uh, a lot of folks know about the, the, the American Association for Advancement of Science. It's a nonprofit organization, and they organize um, uh, science policy fellowships, these opportunities for scientists and engineers to um, come work in D.C. Uh, for at least a year, sometimes two years. Uh, and they get to lend their expertise to government, how government operates, and then 
uh, you know, those government offices get trained PhDs and engineers to, um, to, to you know, lend their technical uh, competency and, and learn how government works. So uh, 2010, I, I came to Washington, D.C. through the American Society for Microbiology. They had fellowship program where they would send one, um, one uh, PhD scientist to uh, go work on the Hill and, um, and, and, and do a, a year-long fellowship. So I was lucky enough uh, to be selected. Um, I may or may not have been selected based on the color of my tie. <laughs> was it bright red or bright yellow? Uh, it was, it was uh, bright pink. Nice. I wore pink ties to my interview. And Power move. a couple years later, the people on the selection panel said, yeah, yeah, we, we picked you because of your tie. <laughs> you know what? Anything that helps you stand out, man. Right. right. So I, I think it was a combination of he stands out, he's that confident to wear a pink tie to a job interview. Let's let's give him the job. Um, and so I went to go work uh, in the U.S. Senate for um, uh, the Senate Majority Leader at the time, Harry Reid, which was just like, you know, again, kind of being thrown right into um, the deep end of legislative uh, science policy, the legislative side of science policy in probably, you know, the most powerful office on the Hill at the time. Uh, and I remember, uh, I was just consuming it all. I was just so, I was so excited about it and I was living and breathing. I mean, I was the guy who had C-SPAN on Friday night at 10. I kid you not. Um, because I was just like, my job is so great. Um, <laughs> at, you, doing that quickly burns you out as I, as I realized. <laughs> um, but that's also where I learned that just, you know, the DC beltway can be a really insular bubble. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, I kind of jumped in with two feet. Um, and since then it's been a combination of, um, really trying to understand how good governance works, how, uh, can amplify and inject as much good science and good evidence based policymaking into the process as possible while recognizing that our country is, we have a huge country. Um, political apparatus is enormous. Creating any change takes, um, <clears throat> takes a lot of time. We have this a like, huge ship to turn. Um, and so uh, it helps often at times to have a perspective that is outside of the, the DC beltway, outside of the bubble. And especially in times like, Gosh, you know, 2016, 2017, it really felt like the bubble was closing in. Um, COVID times, uh, it, it, you know, yeah. there's a totally different bubble because you can't even leave your house. Now your, right. your home is the bubble. Um, so, so yeah, so that's, so it's been interesting. So I, I guess my take of how's it working in DC and policy? It's uh, fascinating. It's interesting. It's intricate. It's complicated. And at times it can be incredibly simple, which is just get some perspective. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're also a, would you call yourself a virologist? Yes. So you're a virologist in the middle of a global pandemic with a virus. How is that? You know more than most people at this point. So, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, you know, it, it feels, it feels like the oddest thing to have, to have this background, to have been thinking about these things, uh, for, I don't want to say how long, but, but thinking about these types of things for such a long time, and now to be uh, 
uh, thrust into trying to work on them and trying to take everything that uh, I've been working on for most of my life and, and apply it. Um, and then yet still feeling helpless because A, we still don't know nearly enough about the virus. We still don't know nearly enough about human behavior yeah, in a pandemic. We don't know nearly enough about how good government works in a country as diverse and spread out and complex as ours. So um, it's uh, it's maddening and uh, incredibly fulfilling all at the same time. Yeah, I mean, 2020 is going to go down in a year that not going to be forgotten uh, anytime soon. I One of my favorite memes is someone was tweeting and saying that I feel bad for any of the future students who have to study 2020 in their history class. Oh. It's going to be such a dense chapter. Oh. oh, man. Can you imagine? Yeah, you know, it's going to be a lot like, you know, I've been obviously with all the, the um, social justice uh, reform, like 1968. Yet at the same time, it's now 2020 and we just throw around the year 1968 like we know exactly what it means when uh at the time right it, it's probably just as dense as, as 2020 is yeah 1968 and the global pandemic yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy well so you seem to have uh, a knack for jumping in feet first so my last big open question for you is what kind of advice do you have for people doesn't have to be students doesn't have to be elderly it could be anyone like if you were when you give advice what is the big one you usually give so I usually I usually give give two pieces of advice that kind of link together. One is not every path, but I guess don't be seduced by the the easy straight path that everyone expects everyone to take, uh, and that know that uh, there are paths that are twisting and turning and winding and um, and and to not be afraid of that to sort of embrace that. Um, and then the the, the kicker onto that is uh, propensity to say yes. So. Um, I have a, I have a, a, a good friend of mine who says yes to everything, uh, who, and at times it's as his friend when he says yes to plans with me, but he's also said yes to three other people. It's yeah. pretty frustrating. Um, but, uh, but you know, it's actually when I was in, was in South Korea, I, I also had to just go with the flow, right? I'm in a totally different culture. I know nothing and know no one. And so I ended up saying yes a lot. And uh, my 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 year my life was so was full of so many fun adventures because I just kept saying yes um, and that saying no was was restricting me from uh, experiences and opportunities so it's the uh, it's it's say yes and don't be afraid to say yes to something that is um, completely out of left field or not what not on that path that people say that you are supposed to follow in order to get to the end yeah like sure i'll move to a country i don't know for a field i don't know and represent a president i don't know on accident <laughs> all of that tied together <laughs> right. so what was what was the last thing you said yes to and how did it impact you oh it's the last thing i said Not, yes these to. aren't easy questions well one thing that i i continually say yes to is uh to a position. So, so within Washington, DC, we have uh, a number of elected officials that are called advisory neighborhood commissioners, and they form a level of sort of government representation where we represent our neighborhoods. Um, you know, we, uh, each commissioner represents 2000 people 
and we advocate for uh, residents uh, on behalf of residents to city government, to Washington, D.C. government. And as we all know, um, while I think it's a travesty, Washington, D.C. is not a state. So we have uh, the mayor and we have a city council and that's it. So one person is the mayor. There are 13 city uh, council members and that forms the government for Washington, D.C. for 700,000 people. Oh, wow. uh, right under them are a number of advisory neighborhood commissioners, uh, ANC for short. So I said uh, two years ago, I put my head in the ring and I ran for office. So we are elected. We're on the same ballot every um, two years. We serve two year terms. We're on the ballot in November. Um, you know, right now, go out there, campaign, raise funds, do the whole thing. Uh, and then if elected, serve in a volunteer capacity uh, to represent um, DC residents to the government. So I said yes to that two years ago, and I'm saying yes to that uh, currently. I'm currently uh, about to submit my petitions to run for a second term. Well, that's uh, great. Yeah, yeah. Well, everyone who listens, if you live in DC, vote for Ian. <laughs> or if you live in his district, I don't know how it works. But if you live in vote for Ian, vote for Ian. Yeah, yeah. This is a spontaneous political support. I don't even know what he stands for, so don't quote me on this. But nonpartisan position, really, what, do you stand for? Do you stand for potholes? Oh, down with potholes, up yeah. at the end. That's right. <laughs> well, you also said yes to this podcast, so it may. There you go. That's the most recent one that I get to experience. Yes, but we'll keep it short. But what is it like to be an elected representative of two thousand people? I mean, you. So, it's just like, let's stop and take a second. PhD student into a country you don't know, in a language you don't know, into Washington D.C. working for in a realm of legislation you don't know into the White House, into elected official, and you're all over the place. It's, it seems like you live, yes. I, right. At the same time, uh, I feel like uh, my my wife is constantly on, why do you keep saying yes? Uh, <laughs> anytime for a film. Um, so, so what is it like to, to represent... Um, so I feel incredibly lucky. One of the, one of the coolest things, and I, I didn't know this when I ran, I learned this afterwards. One of the coolest things about my neighborhood is that it is honestly one of the most diverse neighborhoods um, in Washington, D.C. and probably the country. It's, um, it's about a third um, Caucasian, a third African-American, a third Latino. It's, um, uh, the, you know, the median income is, is pretty, pretty average with a high and low. Um, it, the, the, the cool thing is that, you know, even if folks are not, uh, you know, college educated or, or have a secondary education, everyone's informed. There are a lot of folks, this is DC, right? And we, we live in this bubble. So a lot of folks are, are, are really informed. Um, and so it's been, it's been very cool to, to represent a, lo a lot of, um, a lot of different kinds of people um, learning about a lot of different um, uh, life experiences and then trying to raise everyone's um, uh, raise everyone's uh, quality of life, um, even though that means different things to different people. Um, so actually COVID was one of the uh, level setters for a lot of that, right? So a lot of folks wanted competent leadership, sound information, clear guidance, um, and they, and they, and then everyone uh, wanted to help out where folks were, were feeling hardships. Um, so, you know, working with grassroots organizations, working with volunteers to try to make that happen. 
Then you tack on um, the, the movements around social justice and police reform. And a group of commissioners uh, took it upon themselves, came together, organized. First, the organization was around COVID and making sure we understood the numbers and the clear message and to spread um, that, that clear communication around the city. And then it shifted to um, having conversations about policing in Washington, D.C., Oh, yeah, understanding what it's like, what police are like in, um, you know, affluent neighborhoods versus what it's like in not so affluent neighborhoods. Uh, where what is policing like all throughout the city? Because um, even in Washington D.C., which is so diverse and uh, fairly liberal leaning, uh, folks still live in in relative um, uh, some some relative silos where they don't they may not understand exactly what police look like. Uh, three miles away on the other side of the river. So that's been great to be involved in um, grassroots movement, conversations with city officials, conversations with uh, police leadership around what can policing look like in Washington, D.C., what reforms are needed, um, while D.C. is, you know, a a leader in already in in good police practices, uh, could be better. They know it could be better. Everyone knows it could be better. So uh, trying to help out with that. And then the cool thing is then they, they take lots of data and then they, they try to figure out how the data can inform policy. And I'm like, that's, that's my, you know, those are my, my signals um, uh, going off of, of kind of where I, I, I sit in the national um, science policy landscape is that that's really kind of like my bread and butter. So being able to help out with that has been really cool. And that was a lot longer answer than I wanted, so sorry. No, that's awesome. Are you running on a platform of being the only virologist on the ticket? Because it's a pretty good platform right now. I should do that. I should I'll do that. You. You know. All right. When everyone votes for Ian because he's the virologist you need. We started here. <laughs> well, Ian, it's been awesome. Um, your career sounds fascinating, amazing. Um, and something I don't know if we mentioned, but Ian and Sarah from the very first one worked together, uh, both at the Science Technology Policy Institute. So you can tell that I'm a big fan of Stippy. I got a lot of friends from there. Um, so it's great. But for everyone, just to remind you again, uh, podcast, YouTube, you can subscribe, leave a comment. Um, all this stuff will be in the comments or the details section. So subscribe for the newsletter. And I'll have information about uh, Ian's stuff as well. So Ian, if you want to give me any, if there's any kind of links you want put into there, um, the vote for your virologist kind of thing. I'm happy to sponsor the virologist in DC. Yeah. That's been great. Thank you. As long as I'm not on the same ticket with Tony Fauci, I should be okay. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You need a different platform then. All right. Well, I appreciate it. It's good to talk to you and we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks.